0: You're listening to the Bible Teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please
1: visit our website at realitystockton.com.
0: Our reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks 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 be to God.
1: Amen. Now, as I begin to envision this scene, uh, I was reminded of a scene from the movie No Country for Old Men. A sheriff named Ed Tom Bell, who is chasing a heartless killer named Anton. And Ed reaches this point where he's old, he's tired of his job, the never-ending nature of being confronted with evil, and he goes to meet with his uncle, who asks him why he's thinking about quitting. And his response is this, he says, "I I don't know. I feel overmatched. I always figured when I got older, God would sort of come into my life in some way. He didn't. I don't blame him. If I was him, I'd have the same opinion about me that he does. And in this sort of stoic way, what he does is articulates something that I think a lot of us feel and experience, maybe especially in this season, and it's this, that life feels overwhelming and hope seems underwhelming. The hope is fragile. We we begin to believe things like I don't think God's coming through like I had hoped. It, It seems like God has given up on his promise. It seems like God's given up on this world. It seems like God has given up on me. And to be honest, I don't really blame him. I would too. But Advent reminds us that God has far from given up on us. In fact, He has stepped down into our hopeless humanity to to rescue us. He has continued to come to us. And the hope of Advent is that he will again return to make all things new. Now, there's, there's a Christmas hymn. It's an old Christmas hymn that we often sing around this time of year. And it goes like this. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sin, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. The story of Christmas, and specifically the passage that we're looking at today, centers around a long-expected Jesus that comes to those who have longing for, hearts. In other words, those who are tired, those who are weary, those who are ready to give up, those who are feeling so burdened by the hopelessness of life and are right on the brink of hopelessness and giving up. To those very hearts, God appears. And what this final song of Advent, sung by this this old man named Simeon, offers to us are really the essentials of hope, the ways that we can posture our lives to remain open and ready and prepared for Jesus as well. And so there are three essentials of hope that we see in this passage that I want us to look at today. Waiting, embracing, and seeing. Let's look first at waiting. Now, we don't know a lot about Simeon other than what we're told here. He was a righteous and a devout believer. He was filled with the Holy Spirit And we're told that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, which means he was waiting for the relief that would be experienced at the appearance of the Messiah. And so at some point, it had been revealed to him that before he died, he would have the opportunity to meet this long expected Messiah. And so his life becomes, from that point forward, marked by waiting. What's that Simeon all about? I don't know, but he seems to be waiting seems to be waiting for something. He didn't know when. He didn't know how God was going to fulfill his promise. All he knew was that God would fulfill his promise, and he was willing to hold out for it. And so what he does is he he reorders his life to be prepared for the promise. This is what Christian discipleship is all about, reordering our lives around the promise of God that finds its yes and amen in Jesus. Jesus is not something we fit into our routines or fit into our schedules or, or fit into a portion of our lives. Everything is reordered around this Jesus. And the passage reads as if the spirit of God was daily strengthening him and leading him to keep showing up. Will it be today? I don't know, but I'm unwilling to miss it. I'm unwilling to miss it. Why is Simeon graced with this breakthrough experience of Jesus in his life? I think the answer is actually very simple. He was willing to eagerly wait for it. He was willing to wait. In Lamentations 3, we're, we're told that the Lord is good to those who wait for him. The Lord is good, always, but specifically here, to those who wait for him. And what that means is that the biggest obstacles to us enjoying the goodness of God, the biggest obstacles to us experiencing, therefore, the good life are not pandemic. It's not economic instability. It's not political unrest. It's not more government restrictions or relational drama or fill in the blank. The biggest obstacle is our own impatience. Makes me think how many experiences of God's goodness have I forfeited because I was simply unwilling to wait for him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. And what we need to remember this Advent, which by the way is a season of watching and waiting, is that we are being welcomed into what is called the ancient angst, of Israel, So as Israel was waiting for the Messiah's first coming, we too as the church, the Christian church, are awaiting his return. But the challenge that comes with this is that waiting can be one of the most painful and difficult things to do, especially when it seems like, you know, the thing that we're waiting for is never going to come. And the Bible realizes this. The Bible does not turn a blind eye towards this or treat hope As something trivial. The the Bible is honest about the difficulty of waiting. In fact, when the Bible describes hope, it describes it as a sense of anticipation that is filled with tension. In fact, the word for hope comes from the same word where we get cord, which means to be pulled tight. Imagine a cord that's pulled so tight, it's as if it's about to break. Hope comes with a feeling like, I don't think I can take it anymore when you feel the pain, when you feel the tension, when you feel like, oh my gosh, something is about to break, then and there you are experiencing biblical hope. In fact, the Bible describes waiting and hope like the pains of pregnancy and childbirth. We're told in Romans chapter 8, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And so what this tells us is that Christmas isn't just about a pregnant Mary. Christmas is about a pregnant creation, a pregnant world, one that's in that queasy, uncomfortable third trimester, just waiting for this thing to come out, waiting for this thing to give, waiting for the tension and the pain to be relieved. And I remember Michelle and I, about 15 years ago, uh, were awaiting the arrival of our first child. And somewhere along the line, we were told about this this miracle thing that would induce labor quickly and speed up the process of of pregnancy. Now, before your mind goes to the gutter, it was castor oil. And so she took castor oil. I remember our bags were packed. We we, We drive quickly because we think that we're in labor. She's in labor. We drive quickly to the hospital. We've got our bags. We go up there, the nurse just laughs and essentially says, you didn't induce labor. You induced cramps. (laughs) And we had to turn around and go back home. False alarm. And there are a number of things. Some, Some miracle pizza in Santa Cruz I've heard of that is supposed to induce labor. Eggplant, going for a jog, doing whatever it is that put the baby there in the first place. There's a lot of old wives' tale about inducing labor quickly. But here is the truth. You can't rush it. You can't rush it. And, and the application is this, there's nothing in the Christian life that can be rushed. There, there's no like quick fixes, there's, no, no, there's nothing to, to get you from point A to point B quickly. And for Simeon, when the anticipation is finally over and he meets the one that he and Israel have been longing for all along, he sings these words, I can depart in peace. I can depart in peace. You know what he's saying? And you know what you too will say when you see Jesus face to face? What he's saying is this this was worth the agony of waiting. Every single Christian, no matter how much suffering they endure, no matter how much loss in their life, no matter how painful the waiting is, every single Jesus or every single Christian that sees Jesus face to face will see this, say the same thing. You were worth the wait. And Christianity is not a promise of an easy, pain-free life. It's not access to, to quick fixes and simple answers to all of life's you know, complex questions. It is, however, the promise that Jesus is always going to be worth the waiting. Jesus is worth it. And Christian hope, this hope that we celebrate at its essence, Is the difference between instant gratification and delayed gratification? That's what consolation is all about, finding relief in the midst of the tension. And, And the world is divided into two kinds of people. There are those who are living for their consolation now to relieve the pain of the tension, or those who are living for the consolation in eternity, living for the now, or living for eternity. And what unbelief does, unbelief leads us to settle for the quick and the easy now. Look at the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve settled for instant gratification through sin, and the rest is history. But hope, hope leads us to hang on and to hold out because we believe that the best is yet to come. And God, in His grace, will fill his people with a longing and a desire that can't be satisfied by anything or any person that this world has to offer. As C.S. Lewis put it, if we find within ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And in our longing and in our tension, And in our pain, God is reminding us, you were made for another world. Hold out. Your consolation's coming. The first essential of hope is waiting. Secondly, we see embracing. Now, we're told that Joseph and Mary were in Jerusalem at the temple in order to fulfill the requirements of the law, the the Jewish sacrificial and ceremonial rites. Jesus was born, we looked at that last week, and now his parents are there to dedicate him to the Lord at the temple. And while this is not the focus of this morning's message, it is important to recognize here that even in Jesus' earliest days, he is living in perfect accordance with God's righteous requirements as the holy and perfect one. And so Simeon, we're told, moved by the Holy Spirit, takes Jesus up into his arms. Now, I'm just envisioning this scene. It reminds me of that opening scene from Lion King where Rafiki takes Simba and, like, it's a circle of life and, like, just this, this epic scene, probably very different, but this is what I'm envisioning in my mind. And what it shows us here is that the second essential of hope is embracing Jesus. He takes Jesus into his arms. And what this tells us is that hope is not wishful thinking for a better future. Hope is not fingers crossed for things to get better one day. Hope is a person that has come into this world to renew all things. One who came to live the life that we could not live. The the one who came to die the death that we deserve because of sin and then rose on the third day to bring the life of heaven to all those who believe. And so what this means is that hanging on to hope is laying hold of Jesus. When we're, when we're encouraged to to hold on to hope, we're being encouraged to lay hold of Jesus. They are one and the same. The Apostle Paul would describe it like this in Philippians, that we are taking hold of new life as Jesus has taken hold of us. Now for many, we often think of faith and hope as simply thinking Right thoughts about God. But the more accurate picture, I believe, is is one of clinging. It's not just simply thinking right thoughts, but it's clinging. In fact, Martin Luther said, whatever your heart clings to is really your God. We were born to cling. We were born clinging. It's not a matter of if you are clinging to something right now. It's a matter of what are you clinging to. And hope is clinging to Christ. Now, I think that we may struggle with this part of hope because we struggle to let go of the number of things that we also cling to, whether it's control or security or acceptance, or comfort, or a person, or a dream, or or, or fill in the blank. The reality is that you cannot cling to Jesus and grasp at other things to save you and give your life meaning, not at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. You are either clinging to Jesus or you are clinging to something else that ultimately will not save you. And so embracing Jesus is that daring move of letting go of all the things that we've held on to in this world. It's that daring move of releasing our grips from things and people and opportunities and once again clinging to Jesus. That's why the Christmas song, O Holy Night, talks about the thrill of hope. Have you ever paused and just thought about what that means? the, The thrill of hope. What I believe it's describing is that rush and that trembling sensation of finally releasing our grip on our idols and experiencing the the risky adventure of embracing Jesus. Have you ever experienced this this thrill of hope, this adventure of hope? If not, then there's a pretty good chance that you have not experienced biblical hope because it's a daring hope. It's, It's a thrilling hope. I think some of you, want the the sentiment of hope, but without the thrill of hope. You want to grasp the safe, gentle, cooing baby Jesus, but not the sovereign, life-altering King Jesus that demands all of us. There's a scene in in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince where Albus Dumbledore tells Harry, he says, you know, take my arm, Harry just stands there and says take take my arm just this calm voice and he takes his arm and immediately they operate in this twisted and turned and then afterwards where he's, he's you know tr- teleported or whatever he's left completely disoriented by the experience and what it illustrates is the thrill of hope when we take the arm of Jesus when we embrace Jesus it's a disorienting thrilling experience as one author put it, scripture alternates between hair raising risks and assurance of fortified security. And when we look at the lives of great followers of God, we see this combination of breathtaking risks with this almost brazen confidence of being safe in God's hands. This, this is the strange irony of Simeon holding this young baby Jesus. He is holding the one that will forever hold him. Embracing Jesus is embracing the one that will forever hold us. And that is really Christmas hope. That's the thrill of hope. And the call, the call this morning is to let go of all the things that you cling to for security and embrace the one that holds your eternity in his gracious, powerful, nail-scarred hands. The last essential of hope that we see here is seeing. Seeing. Look with me again in verses 29 through 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He's singing these words to God. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory To your people, Israel. And so, what this song shows us is that when Simeon looks at Jesus, he sees none other than the salvation of God. When he looks at Jesus, he sees the light and the glory of the kingdom of heaven. He sees the unveiling of God's global mission and the inclusion of all nations into the family of God, all found in the face of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14, as Jesus was talking to his disciples, he tells them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Which means that all that we seek from God, we discover, is actually found for us in Jesus Christ. Nowhere is God more fully revealed as God than what we see in Jesus. John Calvin put it this way. We see that our whole salvation and all of its parts are comprehended in Christ. And so what that means is that we have to make sure that we never attempt to look for these things anywhere else but him. And he goes on to say, if we seek salvation, it's found in the name of Jesus. If we seek gifts, it's found in his spirit and his anointed anointing. If we seek strength, it's in Jesus's dominion. If we seek purity, it's found in Jesus's conception. If we seek gentleness, it appears in his birth. If we seek redemption, it's found in his passion. If we seek to be declared innocent, it's in Jesus's condemnation. If we seek to overcome the curse, we look to the cross. If we desire satisfaction, it's found in his sacrifice. If we need purification, it's found in his blood. If we seek reconciliation, it's found in his rejection. If we seek to put to death our sin, we look to his tomb. If newness of life and eternal life, they're found in Jesus's resurrection resurrection, if we seek the inheritance of heaven, it's found in his ascension to heaven. If protection, if security, if blessing, it's found in his kingdom. Every good that we could ever search for is found in Jesus. And so we, just like Simeon, are to look no further. That's the application. Look no further than what has been revealed in God's very own Son, Jesus Christ, who has come, and who's coming again. Now, one of the strangest things about the incarnation of Jesus, the the this salvation that Simeon says has been prepared in the presence of all people, right? Like this this glorious display before the world is that almost no one recognized this Jesus. It, the scene reads as if it was only Simeon and maybe a few others that recognized him. This, this long-awaited deliverer, the, the one that all of history and eternity hinges on, he was almost entirely ignored for 30 years in obscurity and then almost entirely rejected for his remaining few before his crucifixion. This salvation that's prepared before all peoples and almost entirely overlooked. It's like when a world-renowned violinist named Joshua Bell, when he took a $3.5 million violin and went into the Washington, D.C. subway in the middle of rush hour and began to play for 45 minutes, an individual who sold out these renowned concert halls and these huge venues, only seven people stopped to listen. He was almost entirely overlooked. And that's what we see in, in the coming and the appearance of Jesus Christ, such beauty, such glory, and yet overlooked. And of all the people who didn't recognize Jesus, it says that Simeon recognized him. My eyes have seen your salvation. I see, God, what you're doing. I see what you're doing through Jesus. And so the question is, why? Why have all the people that ignored him or rejected him. Why does Simeon See him. And the overall answer is grace. It's only God's grace that we see and behold our need and the resolution and the salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. The answer, the simple answer is grace. But then I guess my question is this, how was grace at work? And as one theologian put it, he, Simeon, recognized the Lord because he had expected him. Don't overlook the simplicity of this here. Why did he recognize him? Because he had been waiting for him. And he'd been watching for him. God graced him with expectancy. And that's my prayer and my hope for us too, that God would grace us with expectancy. See, his entire life, he had riveted his soul on the grace that would appear when Jesus came. And this is exactly what we have been called to as well in our anticipation of his return. That's what hope is all about. It's about watchfulness. It's about expectancy. It's about staying awake. It's about staying alert. It's about being being a vigilant people, watching and waiting for Christ's return and settling for nothing less than his appearance. C.S. Lewis captures this idea in The Silver Chair, which is a part of the Chronicles of Narnia. Three characters are captured by this evil witch, this, this queen of the underworld, and they're, they're captured in this sunless, dark, underground world. And throughout their time there, the witch tries to convince her prisoners that their memories of the overworld, their memories of Narnia, are just figments of their imagination— And she laughs at them, just ridicules them and tells them that they're playing children's games, pretending that there's another world above with this great ruler named Aslan. And the longer that they can't see the light of the world, the more they begin to lose sight and the more they begin to stop believing. The more they begin to believe that this underworld, this dark, hopeless underworld is all that there is, and all that there will ever be. And she, like the world around us right now, says that if you can't perceive it with your senses, if you can't see it, if you can't smell it, if you can't feel it, then it has to be imaginary. You have to be imagining it. And she continues to tell them, there there never was any world but mine. There's no Narnia. There's no overworld. There's no sky. There's no sun. There's no Aslan. And the truth is, I think you can associate with this today. In a year like this year, where much of what we see, what much of what we feel and experience is hopeless, and it's dark, it is easy to begin to think there is no other world than this. There is no heaven. There is no future. There is no hope. And my hope And my prayer for you this this Christmas, this Advent season is that God and his grace would be at work in your life, just like it was at work in Simeon's as well, that grace would compel and strengthen you to remain expectant, to resist hopeless assumptions that if you can't see it, that it must not be real. As we're told in scripture in in 1 Corinthians 2, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You couldn't see this. You couldn't even imagine the goodness and the glory and the life of what God has prepared for those who love and trust him. And so my encouragement to you this Christmas season, this final Sunday at Advent is this, stay waiting, refuse to settle, hold out the best is yet to come and keep embracing, enter into the thrill of hope, let go of worthless idols, let go of all the things that you cling to and embrace this Jesus Christ and remain watchful. Keep your eyes ready. Keep staring into the face of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stay alert, fam. And may the light of this Jesus break through your darkness because there is a Jesus that has come. There's a Jesus that has continued to meet you. And there's a Jesus that is coming again for his people. Let's pray. God, we...